Welcome to the Monkey Business Show. I'm Aaron Hodges, along with Richie Bennett and Eric Salzman. Our guest today, Kevin Doherty, our expert on cryptocurrency and emerging markets with Coinbase being traded starting yesterday as we record on Thursday. Big news in the market, of course. But first, I know Richie and Eric, I know you guys, you lost someone very dear and close to you this week. Uh, I just want to give you an opportunity to, you know, say a few words. Yeah, um... You know, I was saying to somebody yesterday that, you know, there's, there's certain things you'll always remember where you were and when you saw it. And I remember looking at my Bloomberg, December 11th, 2008, and seeing this, you know, the red banner comes across the news headline. And it says, uh, Madoff Investments loses $50 billion in Ponzi scheme. <laughs> that, that, was the, that was the first. And every, I think except for maybe a thousand people, everyone else in the world said, who the hell's Bernie Madoff? Like, what, <laughs> what who he was? <laughs> and and it was like you remember it was right and it had to do with the crisis eventually that, that's, right. what, that's what ended it but that's what ended Bernie Madoff but it was like all right we've you know we were already shocked enough when in September AIG needs seventy billion dollars like it almost like they would just drop these explode you know, these explosions on you and as bad as it was like why does AIG need fifty billion dollars or seventy billion dollars from the Fed. Like at least there was you knew who AIG was and you could kind of figure it out if you're in the business, but this was like no one knew who this guy was. I remember they they started like, well, what did this guy do? And they were like, well, he he did this split strike conversion, like split strike conversion. Okay, that's that means I buy a stock and I I sell a call. I mean, I I I sell a call and I buy a put. Like everyone does that every day. If this guy had. $50 billion that he was doing that. And he said he was doing it a lot. He would have become the market. He would have become the equity option market every day or whatever day he did his stuff. And that was it. And it turned out that he had not done a real trade probably in at least a decade, right? Like 12 years. Yeah. Um, and it, it just was, it just unfolded as this you know, tragic story, um, you know, ruined the New York Mets. Uh, you know, it just was, um, <laughs> it was something else. Um, yeah. Yeah. He died in case people didn't. Know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bernie. Yeah, that was the whole thing. He died yesterday. <laughs> this is, um, uh, you give a pretty shitty eulogy, Eric. You kind of just give well, the guys. <laughs> well, I mean, I remember very quickly, and you just know this business. And this is when there was, I lived in Harrison, New York, and right up the road was Rye, New York. And in Rye, there was a firm called Tremont. And what Tremont was, was they were in a hedge fund. They were what's called the fund of funds, meaning that they, they take investor money and they pick what funds to put it in. They got they they had three billion dollars vaporized because all they were doing was taking the money and giving it to Bernie and getting two percent on it. They weren't they and we're talking like so so they were making a lot of money. There was a head there was another one of these guys up in Greenwich. It was Fairfield uh, Greenwich Group. This guy Walter Noel, who was like the, the the star of Greenwich. He was like the you know one of the one of the top guys in Greenwich. You know he was the super rich hedge fund guy. He took over seven billion dollars, all of his money all of it, all other investors' money, and stuck it with Bernie. Like, they, gone, 7 billion gone, 10 billion gone, you know, between the two of them, 10 billion gone. We've never seen anything like it or anything since. Yeah, I always liked the stories that came out after, you know, and obviously he was a master. Like, it's it's probably good, and it's not good for the people who he blew their money, but the guy picked the better field than mass murderer. 
Because this guy would have killed like thousands of people and never gotten caught, right? Like, <laughs> like, like a sick mind that was like good. So his game was you had to be worthy of investing with me because I am the best. So you had these people begging, begging to give him money and then like, him turning them down. No, no, no. They like call and like beg finally. Like he'd be like, all right, all right, we'll take your money. And then it was like a game of who was in and who wasn't. Right. Amongst investors, like, oh, you didn't get into Bernie's fund. Oh, you must not be worthy. Then you, you're 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 the rag man. Like, like, what what do you mean you're not in Bernie's fund? So I remember, though, some of the stories that came out that his return. So he basically did no trades. Right. He just took the money and used it. Right. But what he would do and a couple other people got busted with him. Right. It wasn't just him doing it. Right. Because that's the at first they said that. And I was like, well, hold up. They were like. Statement reports going out every month. Somebody was doing those, you know, and that's what ended up happening. They showed. But the best thing about this guy was everybody would talk about how consistent he was, meaning (laughs) he would go up like one percent a month, no matter what happened in the market. And like if you hear that as like any kind of investor, it's like, dude, that's not real. That can't be real. Yes. Up 10 percent one month down for another. Yeah, that's fine. But one percent, like on a like a little graph that goes boop 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 boop, never, never every done. month, every year. He was a he was a very special and talented person, and uh, our former president even had a few words to say about him when he heard about the the death of uh, Bernie Madoff. So I was headed out to play a nice round of golf at Mar-a-Lago this morning. It was a beautiful day, and then I got some. It's it's tragic, the news that we just got. Bernie Madoff has died, a very talented, uh, very wise, great financial mind, okay? Uh, he has passed away, and, you know, we've lost so many talented people. Like, if I were to think of the people, you know, I think of Rush Limbaugh, I think of the great Jeffrey Epstein, you know, even father of the great Fred Trump, and if there is... A Mount Rushmore of great, talented people in heaven. Uh, I think they just got their fourth member because Bernie Madoff was somebody with such talent, such financial uh, skill. They call it skill. Um, you know, I wanted to make him my chief economic advisor. I said, "Let's. We got to get this guy. He's got a. You wouldn't believe the rates of return that he's got." So there you go, guys. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good. That was good. Impression. Now, one thing to remember, and just because again, a lot, a lot of, I forget a lot of the people who are listening to this. This was you know, 13, 13 years ago, or twelve and a half years ago. So Bernie Madoff, within the industry, within the, especially the Nasdaq, Bernie was a Bernie had a legit business and a, and a legit business for a long time. He actually, for a while, I think, was the chairman of the. He he, he ran the Nasdaq. He was he was at the top in those circles, and in a lot of ways, he helped start the Nasdaq. Because yeah. he was the you know one of the guys that said like you know, like we got to get out of this old school New York Stock Exchange type thing with hand signals and humans and pits. Let's use these new things called computers to actually you know get the exchange going that way. So they created the Nasdaq, and Bernie he was a market maker. We've talked about market makers from that payment to order flow and Robinhood. Well, Bernie Madoff made off the legit business that his sons ran was a market making firm on the Nasdaq. It was a very successful one, and he was a very legit guy in those circles. But what people didn't know is uh, there was also Madoff Investments and that that was the one that was the Ponzi scheme. 
And Bernie pretty much said that it started, really started because he was legitimately trying to manage people's money. And in the 87 crash, he blew up. And rather than tell his investors that he had lost a lot of their money, he just started running the Ponzi scheme. He just started faking the returns. And that just shows you the, the sociopath in the guy is that he saw it as, hey, this is a good angle. Like, yeah, I did this out of necessity because I didn't want these people. I didn't want to show these people I lost all their money. And then it became like, okay, I'm hiding that I lost their money to, hey, let's let's do this. Like, let, let's raise more money and just keep keep doing this. If you think about, like Richie said, that so the statements, the, the customer statements that went out, his the amount of transactions they, they had to fake all the transactions. So he was making things up. Like I, you know, I bought Exxon, I sold a I sold a call here, I bought, and so we were thinking it would it was harder to do that. Then it would have been just a trade and they had to keep it a small circle. So it was probably only, it was his two lieutenants. Uh, Pasquale is one. I can't remember the woman's name. They were like, it was him, the two of them and the, and the accountant who was like in a, in a strip shopping mall and um, like an upper upstate uh, Westchester or maybe in, uh, in Rockland County. Um, but that was it. Like, and those four people ran this scheme for such a long period of time. Like you said, the, the amount of work it took to do this was just, unbelievable but that's what he was he he could partmentalize he could just say that's my thing over here and then and he just you know just kept it going and like you said it became he was brilliant because he came to like hey this is ex exclusivity you want in you know i don't 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 insult me with a hundred million dollars don't i mean you can always sell prestige and access i mean people are almost always gonna fall for that trick you were talking about the new york post before we came on the air today Bernie Madoff, he lived on those pages when he was sure, alive. Sure, sure. They, they did a lot of work on that. And they always have great headlines, right? So uh, obviously in the beginning of the day, they reported his death. But by around 5 o'clock in Eastern time, so as Eric and I joked yesterday, Bernie's body probably wasn't even in the morgue yet. <laughs> and if you, post, if you went on nypost.com, the top story, the top story, Ruth Madoff, Bernie's ex-wife, I guess they got divorced. Ruth Madoff lives in a $3.8 million waterfront home. Like that was, that was the story. It was like, yeah, yeah. That guy died earlier today, but like, we just want to let you know, like on the day of his death, like she's not penniless. There's still money running around. They did the same thing to DMX. The story was about all the houses he lost or whatever. He wasn't even dead yet. He was still on freaking uh, life support. And they're like, oh, these are the, the houses he lost. It's crazy. And uh, of course, for those who don't know the backstory too, it like blew up the family. I, it, it, in the beginning, I, when it first broke, I thought like the kids were in on it. Like his two sons, Eric said, we're running the regular business, the real business. I don't know. I don't know if they were in on it. I think they're willfully ignorant. When he confessed, he confessed to them. Yep. He called them into a room and then the two of them called the feds like, and turned them in. And one of so, them committed suicide. And then the one kid committed suicide on the second anniversary of his confession right. and Jeez. the other one died of cancer yeah and the mom ruth like at first like backed him up bernie and then this one son wouldn't talk to her so she stopped talking to him too he said it probably wrecked the new york mets for because uh, fred wilpon lost a lot of money the mets suck anyway i'm sorry the mets suck they're always gonna suck guys this was the excuse for at least five years they were able to use that excuse <laughs> they didn't have any money bernie made off with our money <laughs> there you go. It's perfect. Let's shift gears a little bit. So Coinbase hits the market yesterday. This is the thing that got everybody excited. 
Everybody's excited about it. It comes up. So walk me through this real quick because it ended up being a direct public offering as opposed to a, an initial public offering. It sounded to me like that almost is like uh, the way that SPACs come to market. They can. They can. Kind of- the real highlight of that was so th- this Reddit group, right, that's um, with the GameStop and all that jazz. They, they actually, as these younger guys who are newer to the markets, they do not like a traditional IPO, initial public offering. Why? Because they feel like in a hot stock that's coming to market, the, the banks, the bad banks, right? The bad banks control who gets what, right? So they never give the retail guy a shot. It's always the big institutions that get the hot stock, right? So... What Coinbase said and said for a while, we are like a company of the people. We are going to do a direct listing, which means there is no IPO. There is no extra shares. There's just an exchange and you go at it. And everybody who has a button that they can hit buy is is able to do so. And that's what happened yesterday. So everybody was euphoric, right? Because that thing, they declared like price was 250 and it never traded at 250. It was always higher, right? The thing went from like 320 to 420 in a split second. So guys were doing the hula dance, right? Everybody's rich again. And then it closed at like 328, which was like 14% lower than the initial price, I guess. So guys, you got to be careful what you wish for on those situations, right? So here they are, the regular Joes who are like, yeah, this is my company because they did a direct listing and they allowed me to get stock. Yep. And it went down for some of you, not everybody, but for some. And now today you can go and get more of that stock. And where is it trading at this at this juncture? Well, now it's 330, so right, 337. So still a little still a little but, more than yesterday's. Open. Yeah, up, up, uh, up like nine bucks. Yeah. Nine okay. Bucks. So moral of the story, not everybody gets rich all the time in IPOs or direct listings. So let's see how this plays out. But it's great that uh, Kevin is able to join us at short notice. It was an emergency guest call for Kevin, who's now two for two with those, two for two, because he is our expert in crypto. So what say you, Mr. Darty, for being so patient while we blathered on for 20 minutes? Yeah, it's great to see you guys again. It's, um, it's definitely a, a big moment for the cryptocurrency industry. You have uh, one of the bellwether companies in the space that is now a public company listed on NASDAQ. Anybody can buy it. And it has a huge valuation. The, the market cap of Coinbase, now it's about $85 billion. And uh, that actually makes it the biggest exchange group in the world. I saw that uh, New York Stock Exchange ICE is like sixty-six billion. Sixty, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's at sixty-six, well. and the, the the second biggest is the Hong Kong Stock Exchange Group, and they're at about seventy-six. Maybe explain to us like what Coinbase is as far as an exchange, how they're similar, and how they're different to yeah. let the exchanges that we know, the Stock Exchange, New York Stock Exchange that ICE owns, and just to get a feel for what they do. Yeah, and here's where it gets interesting because it's not just an exchange. It has a number of businesses that um, that are part of the group. Uh, it has the exchange, which is where most of its revenue and profits come from today. But it also acts as a broker 
or if you will, a bank, because the main way that people get money in the cryptocurrency system so they can buy Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and everything else. First, you got to convert your dollars or euros or yen or pesos or whatever it is into an exchange. And Coinbase is the biggest one that facilitates that gateway. And then they have millions of users. Uh, as of the first quarter, actually, they had 56 million account holders in 100 countries or more than 100 countries globally. So they're an exchange like the New York Stock Exchange, but they're also a brokerage like, uh, you know, forget Robinhood, but like interactive brokers or, or Merrill Lynch for that case. Is it fair to think of them as the Robinhood of crypto? No, because, well, it, no, well, Robinhood doesn't charge any fees, um, any headline mm -hmm. fees. Coinbase is the opposite. Coinbase charges the highest fees in the industry, and they're very upfront about the, those high fees. But the, and we'll come back to that in a second. But the third business that, uh, that Coinbase has that's quite big is custody. And so when you talk to, I'm sure, you know, I see Rich and, and Eric kind of both nodding and shaking their heads because you're not supposed to be an exchange, a custodian and a broker at the same time. Those businesses are separated for good reasons. Why does that ring off bells then? What's well, because the so, you know, in its long history, Coinbase has done everything uh in a more regulatory compliant way than any other exchange in terms of going to every state and making sure they they do whatever they need to do to to get the blessings by the state to to take clients money and i think they've been able to cobble together this business that wouldn't be allowed to exist in the equity market space because the, the regulators aren't quite sure what to do about cryptocurrency. And so, you know, to be a, a broker and we run the exchange and, oh, yeah, by the way, we're, we're managing our own custody. Now, we mm. just talked about Bernie Madoff a few minutes ago. And, and let me start off by saying I am in no way saying that Coinbase uh, is, has anything untoward about their business. It's a it, it was a weird transition from Bernie to Coinbase. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> it, it is. But part of the problem with, with Bernie is that you know, he was the custodian in theory of his own investments. There was no separate business that someone could verify, yes, these assets exist, that money exists. And that's how he was able to get away with his shenanigans for so long. And so, you know, in a in the equity market, a custodian has to be an independent third party, and that's not the case for Coinbase today. I suspect in the future, the regulators are, are probably going to have a close look at uh, this combination of businesses and say that uh, things need to change. So, you know, speaking about regulation, and um, so. First of all, there's a, a headline just came across across Coinbase gains as analysts sees immense upside. And then mm -hmm. Kathy Wood or the ARC fund uh, bought them today. Now, like you said in the beginning, Richie said, they right now have a market cap above ICE, Intercontinental Exchange. They, and they own, ICE owns exchanges, including the New York Stock Exchange is the biggest ownership. They have clearing businesses, a lot of clearing businesses. They also do a lot of data. Basically, they, they manage a lot of very key financial indices and they oversee every day the submissions of those indices and they control them. So that means that if you want to know where, let's say, LIBOR is or any of these big financial benchmarks, you have to pay them to get that real time. So they make millions of dollars like that. Now, 
they also people like that have have certainly accumulated a lot of political capital and they they have their own lobbyists and in this case with ice they had their own senator because the wife of the head of ice the ceo of ice kelly loffler she was the senator in georgia then yeah. she was appointed the senator of georgia i think in 2019 or 18 it was a special appointment and you know when it comes to uh, the potential to now look at a competitor like a like a um, Coinbase, even though she's not there anymore, they've got a lot of in. And they sounds like they may have some legitimate beefs with regards to how Coinbase is set up and what the regulators can do. So mm-hmm. when we look at the stock and we look at the, the, the value of it versus the fact that it hasn't even really gone through the regulatory political ringer yet. Is there a potential for a breakup? Right now, you've got the, um, the the exchange. They're an exchange. They're the, they're a brokerage, and they're a custodian. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming that would affect the value and the upside of the stock. I think there is, and uh, it just on the simple fact that that type of structure with all those businesses would not be allowed to exist in the equity market or the fixed income market. And so, uh, as crypto comes of age, I suspect they're going to. Um, ask them to separate those businesses. And I think that will have an impact on the profitability of the group. I think I mentioned earlier, they charge the highest fees in the industry, uh, the highest trading fees. And the reason they're able to do that, but still have a lot of volume that they transact is because they have this semi-captive client base of people who uh, Coinbase is their first stop into crypto. It's the first place their U.S. dollars get converted onto a crypto exchange where they can then go and buy Bitcoin or buy Ethereum. And so, you know, if those businesses now become independent and separate, I, I think Coinbase is going to have a lot of pressure on their fees because no longer do they have this captive audience. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, they, they're... Right now, they're hugely profitable, but that's a fairly new thing. Um, now, crypto's had this, this enormous run since November. The, the market's up about 600% since November. It's up 200% year to date. So first quarter and through April 16th, whatever today is. In 2019, Coinbase was a loss-making company. And for the first three quarters of 2020, they didn't make much money. In the fourth quarter of 2020, they made a bunch of money. Full year 2020, they made a little over $300 million So uh, in net income. So at a market cap of, what is it, $90 billion right now, that's a PE of 300 But in the first quarter of 2021, when the markets exploded, the trading volume has gone way up. They made $1.8 billion in the first quarter of this year. So annualize that. Uh, sorry, no, sorry, that's revenue. They made $1.8 billion in revenue, but their net income was about $750 million in the first no, quarter. Nobody looks at the bottom line, Kevin. That's well, <laughs> but then to look at this, so they made, if you annualize that, they could make $3 billion this year. I doubt their revenue is going to stay that, or that high, but if they make $3 billion this year, all of a sudden their PE is 30, and that's exactly where ICE is trading today so good point good point um, so do they make all their money on the fees that they charge per trade or is there there are other ways that they bring in revenue 86 percent of their revenue is trading fees and the rest of the revenue is this other stuff custody 
and um, also bank transfer fees and, and other small stuff. But in the uh, CEO of Coinbase, Brian Armstrong, uh, he said yesterday that he expects that in five to 10 years, the non-trading part of the business will account for 50% of the revenue. But in a five to 10 years, is a long, long time to be forecasting what's going to be happening. I always think of when I hear custody, I always think of the Bank of New York, mm. who's been doing it from like 1702 or something like that. Yeah. And they basically have existed all this time going on, whatever, 400 years as a custodian. Right. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there is money in that. Yeah. And it's pretty it's pretty like it's not glamorous business. You know, you basically. You're basically holding people's accounts, right? Yeah. You, you send out statements. You, it kind of runs itself. I just have this vision of like bodyguards manning a safe. Yes, like, yes. Know. Just an aside, when I was a young boy, young man, at uh, J.P. Morgan, when, we, when I started, it was back in the day where they just gotten capability to underwrite bonds and stocks again. Nowadays, you just think of J.P. Morgan as this big trading house. and this, They were a bank. It was really called the Morgan Guarantee Trust Company, MGT. And then JPMSI became their security sub, and that's what you, they do now. But back in the day, back in the day, every officer of the bank had to perform vault duty. Vault duty was you go for two weeks straight, and you sit in a chair in front of the vault at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and you guard, guard, J.P. Morgan's holding of gold. <laughs> so you sit there the first day and you're like, this is kind of cool, right? Like this is, and like they, you know, they let you see it. Can't touch it. They let you see it. And then you look around like day two and you're sitting in this fold-up chair and these cats around you are armed to the teeth, right? They have guns of plenty, and there's probably more in the back and there's probably bombs and shit. And it then dawns on you, like, I'm the only guy without a piece here, bro. <laughs> like, if, if, if somebody storms the door, are you guys going to throw me one of those Uzis? Like, like what, what the hell? So then it was not as fun. It, it, it lost its, as a little joke, because we're talking about gold, it lost its luster. Right? Uh, what you remember, you remember that that vault is down. Like you oh, oh you're you like Never Neverland. They might, yeah. if, if somebody did pull like a James Bond kind of heist kind of thing, they might not find you for months. Like, like, where's the dude? I don't know. He was. He went they had to go down to the bed. They had to go down to the bedrock, right? Because oh yeah, all that they, gold. You can't. You can't put it in a normal floor. It would just you know. <laughs> and, and they're worried about like nukes, right? Like if 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 somebody nuked New York City, right? This thing would still be around. This gold, which it would. What do you think about? So the other thing we're talking about these high fees now. No one's really paying attention to the high fees when something goes up six and a half, six hundred percent. Like you said, I think you said six hundred percent since uh, since November. Yeah. So I mean, all right. So I'm paying one and a half percent, but I'm up six hundred. So I'm up, you know, <laughs> I'm up uh, five hundred and ninety nine or five hundred eighty five hundred and ninety eight. Right. Sorry. Right. Uh, I'm up by that much, so I'm not really paying attention to that fee this guy's charging me. But you know, as as Bitcoin matures, unless people continue to think it's just going up in a straight line, people are going to start paying attention to that. And again, I come back to ICE and I come back to these guys who know the business and they've got a lot of capital. Yeah. Are there other exchanges that they may buy that it kind of exists now, big guys that uh, may be able to compete with, with Coinbase in 
let's call it the not so distant future? Yeah, there are there are probably a dozen exchanges globally that I would consider um, reputable that uh, are, are are the main ones that people trade on, and uh, most of those are registered offshore. There are a couple that, like Coinbase, have tried to do things the right way and are regulatory compliant. The, the other one that a lot of people are familiar with is Gemini. And that's the exchange that was started by the Winklevoss twins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're, uh, they've done, from day one, they've made it pretty clear they want to be Wall Street's entree into the crypto world. And there are, there are a number of other ones, one called Kraken that's registered out of San Francisco. But I think that for the future, the real interesting opportunities are there are the, what are called decentralized exchanges. And it's basically um, a, an exchange, a crypto exchange, where the transactions don't go through a central counterparty like Coinbase or like Gemini, but they, uh, through technology, they are done in a peer-to-peer -peer manner. So I want to buy something, I go on, Rich is the seller, and there's a matching engine in the exchange that puts us together. And this is a more kind of pure cryptocurrency solution, and it's technologically very sophisticated. The user experience is still a work in progress. Right. And uh, but in the, for the future, this is the next step. So as Coinbase was an advance on call it ICE, but it's a, that's an imperfect example. Eventually, these decentralized exchanges, and one of them has their tokens that actually trades on Coinbase, which is kind of interesting. For the future, I think those decentralized exchanges are going to displace Coinbase and the other centralized cryptocurrency exchanges of today. Let's say a trade happens, call it off the off that exchange. It happens, like you said, like is what's going to happen, right? Is you're going to start having when institutional guys get in and they do large trades, they don't go on the open market, right? They do, right. They do block. They'll do block trade. Will yep. it be the same thing where like you, you have to report? You, you may not see the mar the market. Some guy is bidding, you know, once a hundred million, but but when the trade happens, it hits a, it hits a tape. It hits a consolidated tape, and everybody mm -hmm. knows the price. Is that even set up yet? Where people can could people trade in a decentralized way, but it's all it's all reporting to some consolidated tape? Well, one of the beautiful things and the the core foundational elements of blockchain and cryptocurrency is everything is public. Mm -hmm. If you know where to look, everything gets reported eventually, and you can follow what are called wallet addresses. You can see everything, and you can know who's buying if you know their wallet addresses and you know, people try and obfuscate it a little bit, but everything's public, everything's out in the open and people follow that and people track that and look in, you know, when Tesla, I think it was Tesla, when they did their purchase, people had noticed uh, a few days before that there was a big chunk of, I, I know I'll get the number wrong, but it was 500 million or $750 million worth of Bitcoin that left a wallet that was known to be a Coinbase wallet and went into a different wallet and people thought, whoa, someone just bought $500 million or $750 million of Bitcoin on Coinbase. Who's the buyer? That level of transparency is something that people in crypto point to as one of the real advantages in the system in something where, frankly, uh, if you look at uh, Archegos or Archegos, mm -hmm. however you pronounce that, you know where these banks didn't even know what their counterparties had 
exposure to in cryptocurrency and blockchain, that type of obfuscation is in theory, I wouldn't say impossible, but very, very difficult to do. I would think that the large institutional guys are going to want that though, right? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you do a block trade, they don't, you know. Well, they, they want it when they get caught. They don't want it when they're trying to juice up their returns and get a big bonus. So yeah. It was funny you mentioned Tesla about in the past, what would happen uh, someday, and that someday has come already, when uh, Bitcoin starts moving all over the place and the reason Tesla dropped a lot yesterday was because Bitcoin went down. So it had nothing to do with, you know, and it was a big move. It was, you know, 30 points or something. I mean, I know the stock's at seven, whatever. But, you know, that was the reason. Not because they sold less cars, not because they, you know, raised prices and, you know, lost money or something. It was their Bitcoin holding. Yeah. And that's what we uh, we were talking about. Remember that it was the day that they, we found out that, that Tesla bought a billion, a billion and a half of Bitcoin. and. Yeah. This wasn't Elon buying for his own account. This was a, a car company taking its free cash and buying a digital currency. And I don't know if you, and what's crazy is as a stockholder in, in the old days, before this last gigantic run up in stocks and, and everyone getting involved in the, the Kathy Woods and the ARC and, you know, ARC fund and like people would have been outraged. Like I, I bought a car company. I didn't buy a Bitcoin investor. I mean, I can see you maybe you want a little Bitcoin because you know you want to start transacting in 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 the crypto. But a billion and a half, like that's you, you've basically taken the cash from our the treasury and you've put it into Bitcoin. Is there a way to hedge it, Kevin? If you take a position like that, or you, to, or even let's say let's say half of that position to hedge what? Well, if you take an outright position, like in a large a large position like Tesla did, yeah. There's really no, except for some crazy Texas hedges, right? There's really no way to, you know, to hedge that, is there? Well, there is a options market for mm -hmm. Bitcoin, and um, it's not really liquid enough yet for Tesla to hedge a one and a half billion dollar position. But the very interesting thing, and with my background from traditional financial markets, where you know hedging is just something that you. Uh, you naturally want to look at. Part of the interesting thing about Coinbase is I'm looking forward to the options getting listed on Coinbase because that is going to be a very interesting way to hedge your cryptocurrency mm. exposure. Good point. Because now you're there are uh, options on Bitcoin. There are some on CME, on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and they're not that liquid. And the other uh, exchanges where they trade are all pure crypto exchanges, which you don't re really want to buy your tail risk hedge from <laughs> something that is intimately tied to what you're hedging because, you know, yay, I was right. I, I hedged out a 50% fall. What, what do you mean I can't cash in on it? <laughs> I, just, I just bought puts and the company who I bought them from is, is gone. Exactly. Exactly. And, and obviously you don't have that problem with the CME, but they're, they're just not that liquid. But yeah, if I can, it, it, as a cryptocurrency investor, if I can be long a portfolio of cryptos that I think are going to outperform and I can hedge that with some put options on Coinbase, which is going to be more of a market beta position, then that gets very interesting. Yeah. Kevin, last time you were on, you seemed very hopeful in the future of Bitcoin itself uh, specifically. Do you feel the same way about Coinbase? I think it's a great business, but I think there's more upside in cryptocurrencies themselves. 
A lot of that goes back to what we talked about that I think Coinbase is going to experience some margin pressure because of uh, the way their business is structured and the way their business may have to change its structure. Another part of it is just look at the relative valuation. I mean, it's, it's a $90 billion company right now. And these decentralized competitors that are looking to compete in each one of Coinbase's businesses, their valuations are a tiny fraction of what Coinbase is. So, but then it gets back to if you're a, uh, a traditional investor and you can't buy cryptocurrencies, well, Coinbase is now your, the, the perfect way to get exposure to the space. You know what's going to so, happen, right? We're going to have all of our new investors are going to be buying. They're going to be buying Coinbase calls all day long. That's all they're going to be doing. If they're selling Coinbase puts, I'm going to be a very happy man because I'll be on the <laughs> other side of that trade. I don't think they learned to sell puts yet, even though it is a bullish trade, but they, they certainly know how to buy calls. Yeah. But yeah, then, then that's yeah. the Yeah, i got to get on the Robin Hood. On the on the Wall Street bets crowd. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's at some point GameStop and Coinbase will meet in their valuation. The only reason I considered buying a share or two in uh, Coinbase is because of FOMO. Because I'm like, ah, I missed out on Bitcoin. I missed out on all this stuff. I didn't even know what the hell it was. Like maybe I could have bought it when it was a thousand dollars or whatever it was, right? So I'm obviously not buying some Bitcoin at 60,000 or whatever it's at today. So that sentiment has to exist in a larger way than just dumb old me. Yeah, I think um, two years ago, people knew what GameStop was. It was a place where you got video games, right? And now since then, we have this stock move like crazy and everybody seems to be an expert on the GameStop stock and the company. And like the guy, this guy Cohen, who started the whole thing going up, the guy from Chewy.com, he's basically whacking every senior exec that they've had and putting in his own guys. And people love this, right? They're, they're talking about, hey, you know, this is great what this guy's doing. He's getting guys from Amazon, you know, screw this retail stuff. Like he's going to get the Amazon guys to understand the digital way that GameStop's going to make it. And they still might not. Right? And we talked about we talked about Hertz all the time, right? The car company, like these jokers were out buying this thing the day after it went bankrupt, right? Like it's gone, and sure as shit, you know the stock went from fifty cents to five bucks, and people are going crazy, jumping up and down. Hey, look at all the money I made! They just finalized their bankruptcy deal. They're they're still in business. Hertz, they got a four billion dollar line of credit from some private equity fund, and everybody went. All right. Are we voting for this plan? Yes. Everybody, eyes, aye. And guess what? The guys owning the stock got shit. They got zero, like nothing. That's part of the deal. Like, like you got nothing. Oh, you bought Hertz at two bucks and it went to five and you didn't sell because, you know, it's going to 20. It went to zero. It's at zero. It will always be at zero. You lose. You lost all your money. You got to watch these valuations. Like Kevin was saying, you know, if one of these exchanges catches fire, right? And and does compete against Coinbase and competes well, you're going to want to own that smaller exchange. And if that keeps happening, now all of a sudden Coinbase is not so special, right? It was special for a day or two days. Yeah. I think that the 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 issue is that you know, the first thing maybe because 
been a long doing this a long time. But the first, I don't really, I didn't really understand too much about Coinbase, and I knew it was an exchange. And I actually, Kevin's just educated me on and us on you know that bro, being a brokerage and also being a, a, a clearing agent. I'm sorry, a custodian. But the first thing I looked at when I saw that, as I said, what's Iceworth? They own the New York Stock Exchange. What's the Hong Kong? And I looked, and I'm like, they're worth more than ICE now on one product. What does this have to do with immigration? I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that ICE. This ICE is called the Intercontinental Exchange, which is a very benign, dull-sounding name. But they they own they own twelve exchanges. They own clearing corporations. They own. Um, these financial indices that they, that they manage and they make a lot of money off of the data from those financial industries. So they, they're, they're big time and they're very politically connected like we, we spoke about. So that's who is in that game, in the exchange game. And the fact that you call these guys worth not only as much, but more than those guys on the first day, when you start thinking about, uh, it, it's almost like what Richie used to talk about with Tesla. We're still talking about Tesla, right? That, okay, they make electric cars. Um, I think that the, I think Mercedes actually is coming out with an electric car now. Oh, you 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 want a BMW, but it's, it's an electric BMW. Okay, Volkswagen. I mean, the, the valuations are based on that you that these guys are the only guys in town. It's never going to change. Bitcoin, Bitcoin can very well keep going up, but think about it, the more it goes up, the more it entices more guys to get involved. They now saw what could happen. They, you know, the valuations are are, are are pretty high. So, you know, what's the, what is to stop others from getting involved to compete with them and squeeze their margins? And what's to stop, you know, the, the U.S. you know the regulatory whatever Kevin? Who would regulate them? Like, what what would the what would the regulatory body would think would be in the U.S. Um, well, for crypto in general, it's a CFTC. Okay, um, because Bitcoin was labeled a commodity mm -hmm. um and but now that they are listed on nasdaq i would guess the sec now uh gets to to take a look right um, but they have also uh in, in the the process of registering as a uh, i think it's a, a they had to get money transmitter licenses in every state that they operate in so they have they're regulated on the state level the federal level they're regulated in europe uk uh, all over the place. Yeah, and another point that I always try to make on these valuations. So Eric was mentioning Tesla. Like, okay, so say Tesla's going to dominate, right? They're going to they're going to make a zillion, gazillion electric cars and run everybody to death, and everybody's going to want a Tesla. If that's true, right? If that's the case, then what should be happening right now? Because it's been Tesla's now an older company, not old, but older, right? Very mature. GM and Ford and Toyota and Volkswagen and BMW and all these publicly listed car companies should be in the shitter, right? Like they should be like destroyed. Like here comes Tesla. There goes Tesla. Look, their stock go up, but it's not happening. Like GM and Ford are up a lot. Not, not as much as Tesla, but they're up. So somebody's sitting there going, yeah, you know what? Someday, some way. And that day may be sooner than we think. These guys are really going to get the joke. These big car companies that have lots of dough and constantly earn money. And they're just going to put the pedal down and be like, okay, every car we make is now electric. And that day, when that day comes near, not even at that day, 
I think you're going to have some situations where some of these car companies, like the Chinese electric car companies, it's already happening to a little bit. NIO is the ticker, NIO, LI, mentioned that we didn't like that company. They're starting to fall, you know, and that, I think it has to do with the fact that all these big car companies are saying, yeah, we, we can do that. We'll do that. Right. And you don't have to wait. You know, you want to come to the lot at GM. We got the car. It's right here. I'm hearing rumbles about the post office becoming all electric vehicles pretty soon. And uh, I can almost guarantee that won't be Tesla outfitting the post office. That's a lot of vehicles. And uh, hopefully if the post office survives, enjoys uh, rain, then we will have all electric vehicles. And it'll be a nice American company that makes all these vehicles for them. Tesla, I feel like you guys are very hung up on Tesla and their their business model and what they're doing. It's a cult. It's a cult of Elon Musk. So I'm like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I think anybody that's investing in them now understands that, yeah, they're a an electric vehicle company, but not really. Like it's in, you're buying into Elon Musk at this point, aren't you? Yeah, I, I thought that. I think we talked about it a few shows ago, but I I, I Tesla's become almost like a store of value to people. Like, okay, Elon Musk is involved and he's the Thomas Edison of the 21st century. And if I invest in that, that that's how I invest in Elon Musk. Whether that's right or not in the long run, I, I would say it's probably wrong, but you, you can't fight it. And it is that and it is it's just a very, very strong current that that runs through the market that you want to be involved in Tesla. But as we often say, eventually, in the long run, everything equals out. And when you see something that's incredibly overvalued, you can't, it, it's very hard to see, look at the valuation, look what has to happen to really merit that valuation over the long term. Because the short term, things can get very out of whack, and I think they are now. And that doesn't mean they're not going to, it doesn't mean they're going to come back into line a year from now. It can go on for a very long time, and it's very, very tricky and hard to, to bet against them. But it happens. Eventually, you, you got to start showing that you actually, you know, if you're Tesla, I mean, look at G GameStop has become a bellwether stock. I mean, God bless them if they if they're able to if, if Ryan um, uh, Cohen is able to turn this thing around and become a monster gaming company on online. I, I mean, even then, they're not you're not going to be watching these guys as. How the mar how did GameStop do today? And that, that equates to you as the, the market, like GameStop's up or down. You won't have this obsession anymore because they're going to become either and, and either they're going to become that company or they're not. But right now it doesn't trade based on really on projections and discounted cash flows and things that we would do to actually value a stock. It's trading completely on sentiment and it becomes this is this is like a, bell, a new bellwether stock for, for a new class of investors, I think. But do we just move on from GameStop to another company and do it all over again? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, GameStop came out, uh, was it uh, two weeks ago? after their, uh, And they said that they, they were very interested in, did they announce they were going to do it or they said they were interested? I think the number was $3 billion. They were going to come out with $3 billion of new, new stock because they're looking at these value. Oh, wow, okay. Even, even when the stock was in the high 100s, they were like, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll do it at 150. And the stock got hit for a couple of days and then it just came right back because there's just, it's become this flow of money that just flows into it. It goes down. There's a huge force that just says buy it on the dip and keeps it up, takes it up higher than where it was before. And they were able to, the other day, buy back a bunch of high-priced uh, oh, yeah. debt. 
So in other words, they issued bonds that had a high coupon, high interest rate, which was callable at any time if they paid a certain price for it. And because of all this dough they've been able to raise, because the stock price has gone up, they've just taken that bond out of existence. So they don't have to pay that high yield to anyone anymore, which is a good thing. Like that's a really good, that's a, that's a sound like business CFO kind of move, right? So that, so when I saw that, I was like, you know what, that's good that, that they're not, you know, blowing it on buying, you know, more stores or some shit, you know, they're, they're, they're actually thinking about things. That's good. Yeah. Cause your stock becomes your currency. Right. And that's, right. Uh, you know, and that, and that, that's what happened. But yeah, these guys are sharp. They see, you know, I, we don't think we're a $30 billion company, but we're probably a 15. So, you know, our currency right now is, 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 is tremendously quote expensive. We're going to sell it. I could play Carnegie Hall tomorrow. It could happen. Uh, it's possible. It's possible. When are we getting Brett back on? I actually did. Ta- I, I did talk to him uh, last week, and uh, he's got some plans for something else that I can't divulge yet. But he is uh, going to make a little pivot. I'll just say that we will have him on soon for an update on Brett Coin and what's going on. But uh, yeah, you could go to youluckydogproductions.com and check out. Brett Rabel's album, and along with uh, J.L. Covan, who was the president uh, that we played earlier. I have to mention that. Check them out. Lots of good comedy albums over there. We do have some time here for Richie's picks, but before we go into the picks and go around the horn, Kevin, do you have any final thoughts on the Coinbase initial offering? Um, yeah, big success, but I think uh, you know, over the long term, I'm still very bullish. Over the medium term, I'm still bullish. I think uh, this is going to open a lot of eyes that this space is not going away. For the very, very near term, I think the market's pretty overheated. Heading into the Coinbase IPO yesterday, the mood in the community of traders and crypto fund managers was as euphoric as I've ever seen it. And the amount of leverage in the system right now is at extreme levels. And so people are really, really positioned for uh, the market to take off again. And uh, that's, uh, that's a warning sign. That's, um, you know, things start to, to sell off even a little bit. You're going to have all these people who've borrowed to, uh, to leverage their positions, rushing to uh, cover, sell. And that's when we see these quick 20% sell-offs in crypto. So for people that haven't, gotten into the pool yet you know i always say look put a couple percent of your money and just close your eyes buy some bitcoin and ethereum and just don't look at it on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis but um, mm. for a very short-term tactical view I, I would not be chasing this right here who's who's providing the leverage kevin who's, who's um, the funding the, well it's it's done through the exchanges but it's also done in a peer-to-peer manner so mm-hmm. um i have uh coins on exchanges that extend leverage and i can participate in loaning through the exchange to people who want leverage and you know there's uh, the uh apr the annual percentage rate leverage that i could lend at yesterday was over a hundred percent shit so yeah. that's great. It's, it, it's not for widows and orphans, but uh, it's an interesting <laughs> there's, there's, Yeah, there's risk involved in that. Risk. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's go around the horn and get some picks for this week. Uh, Richie, kick us off. All right. So we talk about a lot about cryptocurrency today, right? As is everyone, as they should. And uh, what's happened is it, it's almost replaced like some of the older commodities that have been around for a bit. 
So late yesterday, I took a shot at gold. But the ETF, the ticker is G as in George, L as in Larry, D as in David. It's a pure play on, I'm not like a gold bull. I'm not sitting there going, the world's coming to an end. That's usually when gold goes up. I'm not even saying interest rates are going to go down, which is also a reason people buy gold. Because if interest rates are higher, they'll buy bonds rather than gold because gold has no interest rate, just trades, you know, for money. But I think it can pop, you know, and I'm looking for like a 10 or 20% move. The other one that I liked was the Borg Warner. BWA is the ticker, Borg Warner. B is in boy, W is in Walter, A is in Apple. They supply all the neat stuff in your car, like a lot of the systems, like maybe not the radio, but like a lot of these chip manufacturers are in short supply. These cars are having trouble being produced because the last thing they have needed are these computer chips, which aren't around. So the law of supply and demand says those chip prices are going to go higher because there's a shortage of them. People are going to pay up for them to get stuff done. And Borg Warner uses those chips to make the products that the cars need. So that, that's a good one. And they're, they're relatively cheap. So BWA. BWA. Got it. B like boy, W like Walter, A like Apple. And Eric, what are you looking at? So it's funny. When uh, you texted me a couple of, two, three days ago, and Richie said, I think I'm going to take a dip into gold. And I had literally just hit the submit button because I bought <laughs> now I bought the ETF GLDM. They own gold bullion, at least they're supposed to own it. The famous blog Zero Hedge is always calling that into question whether these whether these ETFs actually own physical gold. They're supposed to, but you don't want to get into. I, I don't think everyone want to be in the commodity fund that or a, a, an ET, an exchange traded fund ETF or exchange traded note ETN. You just got to be careful that you own the you own the physical. You don't own the futures because that's a, that 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 it gets into a whole different set of headaches. But um, yeah, I, I I'm not like crazy bullish on gold, and to me, it was kind of a more defensive play. Um, but yeah, I I got in. I think gold was around seventeen thirty five, seventeen forty when I when I got in. Other than that, I'm, I'm pretty boring. I, I, I said I jumped in front of Richie and took profits on Boyd Gaming on a Friday morning after we got off. I, that was a Unbelievable call uh, from Richie. I think we made like over 50% on that one. I got out of SIF technology just because I don't know why it's up to over 14. So I just I just unloaded it there. I think we made like 18% on that one. I'm starting to take some chips off the table. I'm not buying new stuff. I'm kind I'm just kind of taking the chips off because again, it just feels like we're we're bulletproof. Like everybody's just going in the same direction. And it's hard to argue against it, but I just have that something always happens feeling in me. So I'm not getting out of stocks, but I'm getting a little defensive. Always an enlightening episode. We have to thank Kevin for coming on. He had to silently leave to hit his dentist appointment. Keep up those beautiful teeth. These beautiful yeah, teeth. Especially being on podcasts, you really want those teeth gleaming. <laughs> <laughs> a face for radio. We're a face for podcast. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening to the Monkey Business Show. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to the podcast. And tell a friend. And we out.